Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. We're going to go ahead and jump right into the final portion of It Takes a Village, this last, the last week of our series. So we've been talking for the last three weeks on this idea and this concept of it takes a village, right? That we need one another, that God never intended for us to take on this Christian walk and this spiritual journey on our own. God never intended for us to be uh, out there hoping to make it and, and, and dog paddling and treading water left, you know, constant and continual. God intended for us to work together. God intended for us to build one another up to have relationship with each other. And that was the first week we talked about the need for community, the need for relationships, real relationships with real people where we have actual FaceTime with each other. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but in the new iOS 12, if you're not an Apple person, I, I apologize that you're not going to understand what I'm talking about, but I'm sure that you probably already had this in your, you know, operating software. But anyways, in the new iOS 12, it tells you your average screen time per day. And so I got a notification on, on my iPad that said I spend one, point, one hour and four minutes a day on average. And now that would probably have to do with the fact that I had just installed the uh, iOS on the iPad and I only have used it for one hour and four minutes since I had the update. But, you know, it's, it's that screen time, screen time. So we were talking about replacing screen time with real relationships with real people, having actual FaceTime, physical FaceTime, not through a digital, you know, really connecting with people, the need for real relationships, the need for one another. So then the next week we talked about uh, uh, accountability. I was about to jump over and just skip that week altogether. We talked about accountability and how iron sharpens iron. We talked about how iron doesn't just sharpen iron because it's next to each other or because it's with each other, but there is a process to the sharpening of the iron, right? So it starts with, you have to have that contact. There has to be an actual physical connection between the iron and the iron to sharpen it. And then also that there has to be that the time involved, you have to be consistent with it, keep showing up, keep showing up. But then we talked about the crucial element of the heat. That iron is not pliable or moldable unless it is heated up. And we talked about how the word of God acts as that heat in our lives to soften our hearts, to make us pliable and able to be shaped the way that God has intended us to be. So that sharpening process, the heat is that, that crucial element in that process. And then last week we talked about discipleship. And we talked about how this, it is that continual growing in, in that moving forward in, in this process of growth, right? That we need one another to continue to be discipled and to continue to grow. And, and, and that all of those things work at a different level when we, when we work together and when we grow together because it takes a village. So that brings us to this week. And I wanna talk about the culmination of the three weeks because the reality is we're not called simply to be disciples, Right? Discipleship is not the end result. Discipleship is not the, the final thing that as we become disciples of Christ, that is not where it ends. It's simply a part of the process and, and where we are trying to get. We are called to be disciple makers. And I'm not gonna get into the whole message of the Great Commission because I believe I've done that once already in, in, in my time here at Grace Hill. But understanding that Jesus said to us that we are to go and make disciples. 
Meaning that, that it's not supposed to end at that point, but as we continue this, this, this process, that it becomes this reciprocal process that is ongoing and never ending, that, that as we make disciples, then they in turn make disciples, and they in turn make disciples so that we are continually moving forward. So the idea is not that we get people plugged into a connection group and that they're growing and that they're discipled, but that out of that, the result then in turn is they too are making disciples. Right? And so the idea is to say, okay, we're going to grow in, in our community and our accountability and we're gonna grow in our discipleship, but we've gotta be able to say we're gonna take it to the next step, the next level. So I wanna talk about becoming equipped to do the job we've been tasked with. Let me ask this question. Is there anything more frustrating than trying to do something you're not equipped for or have no know-how? I remember when Lauren and I were newlyweds, we were working at a church called North Place Church over, over in Saxe. It's where I grew up and went back on staff there. And I was the associate youth pastor. So, you know, you have like pastor, associate pastor, kids pastor, youth pastor, janitorial services, <laughs> women's ministry director, associate youth pastor. So that's where I was in... in in the rankings, right? We are at the very bottom of the bottom learning, you know, we are cutting our teeth in ministry, right? And I remember the youth pastor that I was working for and he said, hey, I want to expand the space of our youth kitchen area. Now it's a larger church, there's different things going on. He said, I wanna expand the cafe, which means we need to move this counter forward about eight feet. I need you to get that done for me. Yes, yes, you got it. Right, because I got the attitude of, I'm gonna make this happen, I'm gonna figure it out. I have zero clue in how to make this happen. I have zero, like I have no idea. So I go back there and I'm looking at it and this is a large counter. This thing is about uh, 14 feet wide uh, and it's wall to wall, right? So it's not like it's just this little island that I'm gonna move forward that has walk space around. No, you had to come in through a back door and it was locked, kept kids out and all this kind of stuff. And I had to figure out how am I gonna move this, this, this counter forward? I have no clue, I have no idea. So I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, so these baseboards were like quarter inch wood that you had to like pop off and then they had to slide this whole thing forward. But it wasn't that simple, right? Because it could never just be that easy. So I get in there and I start working on this. And I found, because I was so out of my element, completely out of my, my world of comfort, you know, and I have no clues to what I'm doing. It was so frustrating. I didn't know what tools I needed. I'm sitting there trying to scrounge through all the tools that we had. You're trying to find the right tools, trying to find anything that I can make be the right tool, even if it wasn't. I have no clue. I have no experience in demolition. I have no experience in construction. And, and so I'm having to learn on the job. And then beyond that, I'm having to connect also with, with electricians. I'm having to reconnect with finish out people, all this stuff. I became a little GC on a project and I have never been a GC of any kind in my entire life. And it's like, man, where were, you know, I, I didn't have the connections with people. The worst part about it is the worship pastor on the staff at that church had spent 20 years prior to that in construction. And I'm going, why didn't we ask that guy? Well, he's got his own stuff to worry about. Man. But I remember at the end of it going, that was awful. I had no clue. I didn't know what I was doing. And all reality is I was terrible at delegating in the first place. So there was no, no asking for help because in the moment I was also extremely stubborn and it was like, no, I'm gonna get this. But I found that when you're not equipped and you don't have the know-how and, and you're, you're swimming and trying to figure these things out, it is so frustrating. And you're going, you've asked me to do this and I want to do that. 
I want to be a good worker. I want to be a good employee. I want to do what you're asking me to do, but I don't know how to do this. And I'm going to try and we may succeed, but it was failure waiting to happen. And ultimately people had to come in and fix pretty much everything that I did because I had scraped up the walls real bad. I, I mean, it was awful. When it was all said and done, it looked like I caused far more work than it ever should have been. And they're like, well, if you would have popped it up, you could have put it. And I'm like, okay, great. Where were you when I started? Right? It was one of those deals. But I found the frustration of trying to do things when you're not equipped to do them. So connecting that to our life and, and our, our walk with Jesus, how many times have you felt like, man, okay, God has called us to go and make disciples, but I just don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I have what it takes in me to, do the, to fulfill the Great Commission. I don't have what it takes in me to go out and to, and to win souls and to disciple them. And, and I, I, don't, I, I feel like Jesus has asked me to do this thing that seems almost insurmountable, that it seems almost impossible for the skill sets and the giftings I have. You know what's wonderful? And we'll talk more about this as we go forward is that we are not called to do this on our own that we are called to do this as a team. That's why it takes a village. It's not just one person trying to save the world. It's all of us collectively working together with different skill sets and abilities and, 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 and things of that nature so that we can work together. So let's continue reading because I know that there are times in my life when I go, how in the world am I supposed to do what Jesus has called us to do? How am I supposed to make this happen? And there's that realization of, well, you didn't call me to do it by myself. He didn't call me to do it on my own. But let's talk about being equipped. So last week we, we were in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and 16 and 17 there at the end. And we talked about how uh, the word God breathed is this, this kind of compound word in the Greek language, which is theopneustos, meaning theo, meaning God, and pneuma being the root of neustos for spirit. So God uh, or, or breathed, right? So that word pneuma is that, that really cool word that has to do with like the breathing of the spirit, the moving of the spirit. And so we, we likened that to, and I'm gonna do this quickly because I'm not gonna re-preach this whole thing, that, that when God breathes the spirit, that breathes breathes life. Therefore, the word of God is living. The word of God has, has the ability to, to change, not in the sense of the words on the page, but, but the way, way it speaks to us in those moments. See, because when it's breathed, when the spirit is breathed into something, it is living with that spirit. So, so we have the awesome uh, connection with the Holy Spirit, with the word of God. And so as he illuminates the scriptures, I have found that in times in my life, I can read the same passage, uh, um, you know, 30 times over the course of however many weeks and I can pull something different out every time. I go, wow, that was different. I didn't catch that the first time. Oh, I missed that. See, that's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He works in conjunction with us as we read the word of God, right? And so we talked about how we have this framework and this idea and understanding that as we read the word of God, it is God breathed. It is illuminating. You know, it's, so it is, it is continually speaking to us. So Let's read that real fast, verse 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So with that framework in mind, you know, that idea, that, 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 reading and understanding that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and, and that the, it is breathed out by God. Let's, let's continue to walk through this. The big thing that I wanna pull from today is this. God doesn't call us without the desire to equip us. God doesn't call us without the desire to equip us. He doesn't wanna just give you a task and say, go figure it out. Good luck, pat you on the back and say, you got this. 
I'm gonna go back to my office and shut the door while you suffer, right? That's not how God operates. That's not how he works either. So he said, if God is gonna call us, he has a desire to equip us. I think one, one bit of clarity we need to make as it pertains to discipleship versus the rest of this stuff is that discipleship uh, is, is about building up of a person uh, so that they may grow in righteousness and in becoming more like Christ. So moving beyond that, in that process, somewhere along the way in discipleship, I think we start to realize that there's more to the Christian walk than just growing personally. There's more to this Christian walk than just me being built up. Because right, we, as we grow, we start to see and understand things differently. We see the word of God differently. And we realize that there's a job for me to do in this as well. There is a role for me in this process as well. It, not just in the sense of me being built up, but also then in turn reaching and, and building others up in this process, right? And so as we grow, we begin to have this realization and this understanding. And so, so as we talk today about equipping, we need to under, have this understanding that as we grow, God calls us to something. But I, I, I wanna pull out something first from that, from that verse. Um, so the first thing today is this, we are God's people. We are God's people. Uh, when we look at the, at, the, at the verse in verse 17 and it says that the man of God, right? So that the man of God may be com- made complete uh, and equipped for every good work, right? He says that man of God. So th- the cool thing here is that the word for God that is used there is actually of God. I mean, it's the word theos. So that works like, a, uh, like, like we use an apostrophe S to show ownership in the English language, right? It's the same way in the Greek in that moment. So it's theos. And so it's of God showing ownership, right? Relating to ownership and saying that he is, is, you know, the man of God. He is belonging to, you are the woman of God, belonging to, we are the children of God, belonging to God. And I wanna jump over real fast into Romans chapter eight because I think that this is just one of the greatest chapters uh, in the Bible. Personally, I'm a big fan of Romans eight. If you've never read it, go sit somewhere and really process it because you're gonna weep um, in a corner as you realize the love of God for you. It's just remarkable. It's just incredible. But uh, uh, we find in Romans chapter eight and verse 14, uh, Paul uses the same word used in second Timothy. He uses that word theos as he describes our relationship to him as it pertains to us being the children of God. And it says this in verse 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. That's Romans eight fourteen, And what we find there is that he is saying that as you are led by the spirit, that, that you are being in, in, again, that possessive theos of God, the children of God saying he owns you. It's an incredible thing when you stop and you really begin to think about this and realize what has happened. It's, it's, it's that statement that you find as you continue to read of being, you know, the, being adopted into the family, that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And we cry out, Abba, Father. We are no longer on our own. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to the flesh and, and, and the things that we have been and the things we've been bound to and held to in the past. Now we have freedom in Christ and we are God's children. We have ownership. He has ownership of us. I had this realization um, last year, Lauren and I had the privilege of being foster parents. And if I become emotional in this, I do apologize in advance. Um, but I think you have the real understanding of the heart of God when you get this moment and you have the opportunity to see this. We never had the opportunity to adopt a child, but we fostered two beautiful babies for about four or five months. And there's something that takes place and shifts when you have the opportunity to, in a sense, take in a child where you begin to see the heart of God fully and the understanding of his love for us in that adoption that takes place. So it was February 
the first day of February, last day of January, somewhere in that realm of 2017. And we had signed up to be foster parents. And we've been waiting. Everything you read, everything they tell you is like, you get, you get your license and like, boom, 24 hours later, they're calling you to place a child in your, in your home. And we got licensed on December 19th. And we waited and we waited. The rest of December, nothing came. We were hoping to have a baby before Christmas. We were gonna give that baby the greatest Christmas ever, right? You know, this whole idea. Baby didn't come by, by Christmas. And then we, we waited all of January thinking, well, I guess it's not gonna happen. One night we were doing a night of worship and I'm getting phone calls and I'm thinking anybody who needs to get a hold of me as I'm playing guitar, that's why I'm doing this in case you're wondering. Anyone who needs to get a hold of me right now is in this room, who on earth could possibly be calling me? And so I, we get done and I go and I get, hear the voicemail and I'm like, oh man, oh. And I'm like, Lauren! I'm like running, trying to find her. I'm like, where's my wife? And I'm like, she's over there, what's up? Don't worry. You know, like I'm running and it's like, until I'm like, uh, we've got a call for a baby. Um, so we call back and, and we say, you know, tell us some of the story, what's going on, you know. And we find out that there is a one-year-old little girl who, whose mother just had a baby and he is, he's a preemie. He was born at, you know, three and a half pounds-ish. And, uh, but she needs a home. And we were like, yes, yeah, bring her, bring her on. So we had her for about a month by herself while brother was in the hospital becoming well and, and being nursed back to health, right? And, and we went and we held him at the hospital before he was even four pounds. He was still under four pounds. It was the tiniest little thing we'd ever held in our lives. And it was like, oh my word, this is an itty bitty little baby, what in the world? And time came that he was healthy and, and we were able to bring him home, which Lauren can tell you more of that story because she actually brought him home from the hospital. She said, it kind of felt like I was stealing a baby because uh, <laughs> I was taking somebody else's child home from the hospital. CPS then follows her to the house. We have to sign all the papers, all this stuff. But something incredible happened. While we were going through that process where, where God began to shift our heart and help, help us to understand the love he has for us and begin to understand the love that, that, that he possesses for us as his children. We didn't get to adopt these babies, but I promise you this, that we took them around town like they were our children. We were proud. Uh, I can show you pictures after service if you want. We were proud of these babies and they were ours. And I remember the first time we went, all four of us, so us and our two children and those and our two babies, so all six of us, and we conquered a day trip to Target. It was incredible. We had the double stroller rocking. We had the boys were in the shopping cart, you know, and we're, it was awesome. We felt like, man, we could do this. And then it wasn't the will of God for us to adopt the baby. Some, a wonderful aunt and uncle came up and they adopted them. And the craziest, coolest part was they had us come forward with the family at the adoption. And we were standing in the back, we were just gonna wait. And they're like, no, come on, come forward. And they told, they were introducing us to people as their first mom and dad. And I tell you that God began to work on our hearts and understanding his love for us. So when we read that, that it, the man of God, when we read that this ownership of God, understand that this isn't a, a possessive ownership. This is a love for you that is far greater than you could ever know. We are God's. And we get to proclaim that as a privilege, as a statement, as, as somebody who is a child of a proud parent who is so thrilled and overwhelmed with joy for us. And he says, I, you are mine. And, and it's not this sense of, I own you, I possess you, you do as I say, but it's this, this proud parent that is saying, I get to call you mine. 
And now we love our children and we're proud of our children, but it was totally different to understand it from the sense of somebody else's child and then having them come to us and feel as if they were our children. And that's the same way God loves us and even greater than that. I heard an old evangelist say one time that, that he was saying, God, what is, how much do you love us? What is, your, what is your love for us like? And he said, do you remember the moment your first child was born? Do you remember how you felt when you held her in your arms? You remember the love that you had for her in that moment? He's like, oh God, I remember that moment. That, he's like, yes, I get it. And he goes, that is only a drop of the love that I have for you. So when we read that, that we are, you know, that the man of God, that we are children of God, we, we can't grasp or fully understand the love that he has for us that, that is poured out to us as we say, you know, he wants us to be complete and equipped because it pours out from this love that we can't even grasp or understand. Do you realize that when I say you read Romans 8 in a corner somewhere because you're going to weep, man, there's, there's just this incredible, oh, golly, when you start at the beginning and you're like, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it's like all of that is gone. I've adopted you. I've brought you into my family and I call you mine. It's overwhelming. And that's how Paul starts this statement to Timothy. He's saying, so that the man of God, that same word theos, meaning that, that you are God's so that you can be complete and equipped for every good work. We are God's. We are his and he's proud. So when I think about my own children and I think, man, I, I, I wanna give them whatever they need to do whatever they need to accomplish, right? Uh, I, I wanna see them equipped. If, if, they need, if they need new soccer cleats, man, we're gonna go get them new soccer cleats. On sale somewhere, probably on clearance because you know, that's how Lauren rolls and she's good at it. But we're gonna make sure they're equipped, right? So in the same way, God cares for us in that way. He wants us to be equipped. We are his. He treats us like his children. He loves us like his children. And some of the things I think we have a hard time with at times is that um, we realize uh, that even with how, however good your children are, there are those moments when as a child, you have to correct and bring it to alignment, right? It's that training that has to take place. That's not always fun. And I don't think God ever enjoys it when he has to bring us back into alignment, right? I don't think God enjoys it when he's like, hey, your heart's a little off here. Let's, let's tweak that. Let's bring that back into alignment. But he does it because he loves us, right? And it's the same reason why we do it for our children. It's the same reason we don't let them just run wild and do whatever and make messes and, and break things and all that kind of stuff and just let them be, right? We, we help bring them into to alignment, help bring them into that whole duty. So understanding that we are his. The second thing is this, we are equipped by God and his word by God and his word. All scripture, again, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word, every good work. God in his infinite wisdom gives us his word, right? Uh, I think it's remarkable that, that we can look at, at, at the word of God and go, wow, this was breathed out by God through many authors that he led to write the words and the, and the experiences and the things that they were walking through that they were seeing so that in turn, we can take the word of God, be built up, to be encouraged, to be equipped, to be made complete, to be made complete. But I found this that, that you know, there are, are things that I, I, I need to learn. So as we look through this, he said, there, the scripture is good for, for, for teaching, profitable for teaching. I know in my life that I, there's a lot of things that I think I know, right? Like I, I like to think I'm at least, you know, 
educated enough to carry on a conversation. Uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the room ever, but I feel like I'm not dumb. But I realize that there are a lot of things that I need to learn, a lot. There's so much that I need to learn. Now, I would find at this point in my life, the things that I need to know, I'm gonna find in the word of God. There are other things that I want, would like to know that I wanna learn, but I would have to say that physics probably doesn't have a whole lot to do with me understanding scripture. Now, there are some, as, some aspects that, that, that can, can coexist in all of that, and I understand that, but realizing that the word of God is profitable for teaching, so it's profitable for our learning, right? It's also profitable for, for reproof, and that's where we, we, we often struggle is when somebody points out we're doing something wrong. We don't enjoy that, right? Those are uncomfortable moments for us. But in the end, if they're right, it's good for us, isn't it? And here's where I think people often mistake the word of God for being this harsh, you know, uh, you know unloving word that is, that is old and, and, and misplaced. It's not, it's not, you know, relevant to our culture any longer is that they say, well, it's there to tell you what you're doing wrong. It's the books of do's and don'ts and, and this and that. And I go, but you misunderstand the other side of that is, is that it is a love story and that it was given because of a father who loves us. So you have the reproof side of it was like, hey, you did that wrong. But then there's the correction side, which brings in the love aspect that says, hey, let's do it this way instead. Let's find the right way to do it so that we can be the, the training in righteousness, right? Going back to that idea in Romans 8 where we are now children of God. We are his, right? So we no longer walk in sin, but we try to walk in grace and in righteousness. So that's the word of God. And it does that for us so that, and all of that is being used so that we can be complete and equipped for every good work. We need to be made complete and equipped. And the word of God is a huge part of that. But here's what I've seen in my life personally, that a lot of times I know what's right in the word of God. I know what, says, what it says in the word of God and I know the right things to say, right? But it means something totally different when somebody comes up and shares it with me, right? When somebody else comes and says, hey, I was reading in the Bible this week, I was reading the word and, and I felt like, some, like the Lord wanted me to share this with you. And they shared that same thing that I go, I know. But in the moment you're like maybe going, I know. But then you go, they're right. Right, and it's that, that working together of the word of God and that community because it takes a village. We need each other. We need that, that relationship component where we are building one another up, where we are able to say, hey, I wanna encourage you. I want you to hear this scripture. I've noticed you've been walking through this. I know you've been going through this. And, and I wanna speak this to you because I believe that God's word in this moment is applicable to your life. And I wanna share this. And you go, you're right. It's spot on because we need each other. It takes a village. So when it comes to being equipped, my mind automatically runs to sports. And I remember being a, uh, a young kid. Now, you may have wondered, I never was a big guy. This is about as big as it ever has ever gotten. So just to, in case you were questioning, was he ever about 6'2"? No, I wasn't. Um, just never happened, right? So I was never a really big guy, but I, I was a competitive young man. I had a lot of heart. And... Uh, and I remember playing baseball as a kid. Now, growing up, we did not have a lot of money. That's, that's the reality. And, and, and we, we grew up you know, fairly tight uh, in, in a lot of ways and, and just being very careful in our spending and things of that nature. But my parents still did whatever they had to do to try to equip us with whatever we needed. Now, luckily, I had an older sister who played basketball for a little while. Her team name, this will show her age, was Too Legit. Yep. Um, if there's any MC Hammer fans out there, yeah. Uh, they were too legit to quit, um, but they were really bad and they had to pray just to make it today. I just made that one up on the spot. Just 
It's another MC Hammer reference for all of you who are under the age of 25. There you go. So, uh, you know, so she didn't play a lot of sports, but I was the one that did most of the sports. I played baseball. And I remember as a kid uh, needing stuff. And I would always wear like hand-me-down cleats from a friend of mine who was a little older. And I would wear his hand-me-down baseball cleats. And I didn't care anything. I was playing baseball, right? So my parents are going to do whatever it took to equip me. I never had a bat. I never owned my own baseball bat. I'd always use whatever bat the coach was bringing to the game or his son's like 17 bats because apparently their whole life was spent on little league baseball. Uh, You know, like that whole deal. So I would use whatever whatever bat was there. And I remember one time uh, coming up on the season and I didn't have a baseball glove, didn't have a glove. And, and that's hard to play baseball without a glove. Because uh, if the ball's hit towards you without a glove, it's not a matter of, can I catch it? It's, can I get out of the way? Right. And sorry if they score a run coach, I don't want to hurt my face. Uh, you know, that kind of deal. And I remember we went to a Texas Rangers game. Now, if you were wondering if they were good during that time, no, I was old enough that they were bad then too. Um, <laughs> which is pretty much always, right? We got a Pirates fan, that's good. They're just as bad. Uh, so I, I remember going to the Rangers game and, and that night they were giving out these cheapy little Rangers baseball gloves to the kids. But... My parents were like, hey, we can still get you a glove. We still get you a glove. And I was like, no, this is my glove. This is my, you know, I had this baseball glove. So fast forward, high school, still not a big guy. I tried out for the golf team. Um, Just less contact. Um, (laughs) So I tried out for the team and my dad said, listen, if you make the golf team, I will buy you new golf shoes. And I was like, sweet. And by new golf shoes, he meant your first pair ever, right? Not like if you were replacing old ones, but you would get golf. I made the team. And, and my dad was probably not expecting me to do so, nor was I. Um, but luckily that year, they decided to start a freshman team. And so I made it like out of like, I barely made it. Let's just say it that way. So I made the golf team. My dad gets me these golf cleats and I was like, yes. And so I told him, I was like, next year, if I make the team again, because I had to make at least a JV, you know, at that point, like I had to be good enough to move up because you can't be a f- sophomore on the freshman team. That doesn't work out for you. I said, if I make the team, can I get a new driver? Now, this is a little more substantial in the financial contribution from my father at this point. And he said, if you make, if you make JV, I will buy you uh, the new driver. And I was like, yes. And I made the team. And my dad was willing to, to spend the money to buy a new driver. And if you're a golfer, you know drivers aren't cheap. And uh, it was like a really big deal for me. But my, I remember seeing as a kid, my parents were willing to equip me for the task at hand. They were trying to give me what I needed to be successful in what it is that, that I was trying to accomplish. And so I probably should have asked for more school supplies because I wasn't nearly as successful as I was on the golf course. But that's uh, neither here nor there. But I remember thinking as a kid, like, wow, my parents really want to help me. But I also remember that kind of tainting my understanding of, of the money that they had. And I didn't realize the sacrifice that had gone into uh, what they were equipping me with. I remember thinking, oh, whatever I need, my parents just buy it for me. And my dad was like, <laughs> pump the brakes on that one, buddy. No. Uh, you know, but, but I remember, and then, and then thinking and, and bringing all that back to this, that understanding the sacrifice and, and, and everything given into the word of God and the sacrifice given by God's only son so that we can turn, could have salvation in the word of God. Understanding that, that the word that we've been given, this, this equipping tool that we have was not cheap or free, but it cost a lot to make happen. And there was a lot of sacrifice involved in this gift that's given to us so that we can be thoroughly equipped, so that we can be made complete. God doesn't call us without the desire to equip us. And I say desire for a reason. 
because God has the desire to equip us, right? He sees the potential in us. He sees the possibility within us. And he says, man, if we can just take that and, and tweak that a little bit and harness that and work with that and build that up, they can, they can do some incredible things. But it requires the effort on our part in turn. God's desire is to see us equipped, but is it, it, does it line up with our desire to be equipped? Do we in turn want to be equipped? Do we want to be built up so that we can be the, the children of God moving forward and fulfilling the great commission? He says, I, so I want you to be complete and equipped for every good work, but it requires us in turn to want to be equipped. I've seen so many people come and go and so many uh, young people and we've had a lot of interns and people that we've had the privilege of trying to, to mentor and build up and see in our lives. And, and we've seen so many with tons of potential. And I've seen so many with tons of potential amount to very little to where you go, man, I, I know one guy that he wasn't under us. He didn't mentor with us, but he had so much potential and he was gonna do incredible things. And then, and then we look back and we find out all he's doing is, is I mean, he's just selling himself short. I don't, I don't wanna diminish his role or what he's doing, but he's just really selling himself short. And I go, man, because there was no desire for the potential to be fulfilled, right? There was no desire for the equipping and the being built up to do every good work. So when we combine community with the word of God, our ability to be equipped is increased exponentially. It takes a village. You know, God has a huge plan. He has a huge, uh, uh, you know, dream for your life. Bigger the dreams than you could ever have for yourself, right? Bigger than anything that we could ever dream for Grace Hill. But it requires us collectively working together with the desire to be equipped, to be built up so that we can go and do what God has called us to do. It's vital. It's necessary. The third thing is this, we are called to do every good work. The last phrase in verse, verse 17 says, equipped for every good work. Every good work. Now, you have to understand that, that Paul um, is writing to Timothy and Timothy would have been the person he mentored, right? He was like his little protege. So he's this person that is under him, learning from him, seeing everything. So Paul has a, a real understanding of what, what, or Timothy has a real understanding of what Paul is trying to communicate in this moment, right? He's saying every good work. So Timothy, who has been around Paul for a long time at this point and is now pastoring his own church, he's saying, listen, you know what I mean? So he didn't have to expound on it. But for us to have clarity and understanding, we need to look deeper into the writings of Paul and understanding what, what it is Paul is expressing. So when we read the writings of Paul, we see that we find that there are 21 different spiritual gifts that, that he lists in his writings. So every good work kind of falls and funnels into these categories of these 21 different spiritual gifts. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not, you're not called to do every single good work by yourself. Uh, you're not being equipped to be the, the pastor, the prophet, the evangelist. You're not being equipped to be the, the, you know, the, the word of knowledge person, the word of wisdom person, the, 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 the person giving the prophecy, the message in tongues. You know, you're not the person being called to give the, the interpretation in all of these things. No, no, no. He's saying the, you, the man of God is being built up. Every one of us, the, the children of God, the men and women of God are being built up so that we can be made complete and equipped for every good work as a body, as a whole, right? And so let's real quick, just the fastest overview you've ever heard of the 21 gifts real fast, just so you have an understanding just briefly. Uh, they are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, the, the gifts of service. Uh, that, so 
the apostle would have been like, like Paul and the, they were the, the apostles now. So apostolic work would be like missionaries today who are going and carrying the gospel around the world, right? So prophet, the person you would find a lot of times in the Old Testament that God would raise up the prophet, they were usually outcast. Um, they were usually started as priests. A lot of times they started out, as they, they could have gone the road of priests, which would have been like, hey, we love you, we love you. So they chose prophet, which is like, we hate you, right? Totally different. Right, so you see a lot of those prophets and stuff of that nature. The evangelists, whose job is, they are the people that go out and they reach the lost. Right, they 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 come in and, and they preach. People get saved, and then you have the work of the pastor, whose job is then to come in and take them in to nurture them, to build them up, and encourage them. And we're going to go faster than this because if I do this for everyone, we are going to be here all day. Uh, teacher, you get that. Uh, they teach the word. Uh, exhortation, giving. That is a, a spiritual gift. There are people who uh, God has equipped to be givers uh, and, and beyond just the tithe that we're called to, but there are people that God has equipped to do so. Leading. There are people who God has equipped to be leaders. Maybe not necessarily the pastors, hopefully so, but, but maybe, maybe they're, they're called to be leaders in different, different areas and things of that nature. Mercy, uh, the gifts of help, the gift of administration. That is not me. Uh, just throwing that out there. Uh, there are some around me who are more administrative, and I say thank you, Jesus, for the administrative types, right? Uh, and so then we get into the, the, the nine, what we would call, a lot of times are referred to as the sign gifts um, or the gifts of the Spirit. And so we find those, and we'll go quickly. We have word of wisdom, word of knowledge, uh, the, the gift of faith. You know those people that have really big faith, and when they pray, God begins to do things, and you're like, wow, they have the gift of faith, right? And you go, man, it's incredible. I wish I had faith like that. Well, maybe God's not quite gifted you that way, but here's the greatest part. We can seek those gifts, and God can begin to equip us in those things. Uh, the gifts of healing. Man, it's incredible when you see people that God has gifted them with healing, and they pray over people, and they get healed. I remember being in Mexico on a mission trip when I was about uh, 16, 17 years old, and, and we were at this little bitty church. In, in, in an area that used to be kind of like the city dump in Querétaro, Mexico, and it was called San Pedro. And I remember being there, and I apologize if I butchered the Spanish, George, I didn't, you know, if it's that bad. But, uh, but I remember being there, and this person comes down front for prayer, and their legs are this different. I mean, we're talking three or four inches. The pastor begins to pray over this person, and I literally watched the leg go, whoop, and I was like, mind blown, right? Gift of healing prophecy, uh, people who God, God, I, I know some people that God really has gifted them in prophecy and they come and they speak to you and they read your mail and you're like, huh, it's incredible. It's perfect timing. Uh, you know, and then the distinguishing between spirits, which is also be considered discernment, right? God gives discernment. Uh, I remember having moments where you go, no, we're not, that is not, we don't need to go that way. Uh, Paul had the gift of discernment. Anyways, uh, tongues, uh, and then the gifts of interpretation of tongues, right? These are all things found in scripture that, that would be all the every good work that, that we are equipped for, that we are being made complete for, that God is building us up with one another and through the word of God, right? So he gives us the word to explain these good works so that we understand these good works and how they are to operate and how they're to function and work. God didn't give us these good works to be wild and crazy and to be out of order, right? He, he gave us the good works and everything to work in conjunction with the move of the spirit, which should not be weird, right? Uh, it should not be this, this big turnoff. Anyways, I'm getting off on a tangent. We're gonna keep moving. So how does this all play out within the body? So many times the, the, in the word of God, the Bible refers, you know, refers to the church as the body of Christ, right? So I think about that, I think for a moment about, about the way the body functions, the human body. 
You've, you've, got, you've got hands that, that have the ability to grasp and to hold. They have the ability to feel and sense heat and cold, right? You know, as you reach for them, you're like, well, that's hot, don't touch that, you know, that kind of thing. You also have, you have feet and, and legs that can carry you, that can move you. We have the cardiovascular system, we have the muscular system, we have uh, you know, the digestive system, and then we have, we have the nervous system, right? We have all of these different parts of the body that serve different functions. We have eyes to see, nose to smell, mouth to speak. Uh, and mouths the chew. We have ears to hear, right? And, and we have all of these different functions and, and, and things working within the body. And within a healthy body, it is able to accomplish the most it possibly can because all systems are functioning and working correctly, right? I think we have an understanding of that. Hopefully your science class did a good enough job that we have a basis and an understanding of how the human body works. What happens though if something begins to malfunction? If something gets out of line, if something's not right, all of a sudden we find pain, uh, we find discomfort, we find things not working the way they should. In my family, we have this incredible genetic trait in our family where we have teeny tiny arteries to begin with. So it doesn't take a whole lot to clog them up. So my father's had a heart attack, my uncle's had two heart attacks, my grandfather's had a heart attack, my grandmother has not had a heart attack, but she's had triple bypass. Um, it, it, you know, they caught it early enough that it wasn't that big of an issue. So, so we know, and in our family, that we have to be careful uh, with, with our, our diet. We need to make sure that we're exercising, all these things to try to keep that at bay as much as possible because genetically, our arteries are small, right? So, so understanding that, that we have to be aware of things within our body, within the bodies that, that could cause restrictions in how the body functions and works. Uh, if, if you were to severely hurt a hand, you know, that, that restricts your ability to move and to do things, right? You go, man, I'm right-handed, but I broke my hand. Well, that makes it very difficult to try to write. It makes it very difficult to try to, to type or to do things in the natural way. See, in the same way that God has equipped uh, us you know, to do these different works, he has brought us together as a body. Because within the body, we're gonna find that there are different functions and different personalities that we all collectively come together to make this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. That together we can accomplish more, together we can do more, together we can reach outside of the walls of our church, we can reach outside of the walls of our, of our connection groups and we can begin to see things happen on a different level. We can begin to see lives changed because of the work that God has equipped us, each and every one of us to do. See, as a body, it makes the most sense to understand how we're supposed to work and function and move together because God has equipped us in different giftings and different skill sets. I've already admitted that I am not the most administrative person. Uh, my father is very administrative. We are different people. We are gifted. I'm funnier than my dad. Uh, uh, it's truth, you know, which is also a spiritual gift that I left off. It's the 22nd one. Hum I'm just kidding. Don't believe that part. That's the one part that's not true today. See, the church has to work together as a body. God's equipped us to do things. He's equipped us to be, some of us are the heart of the church, right? Some of us are the brain of the church. And going, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna keep things functioning and moving, right? You're gonna send the right signals. You're gonna allow things to operate the right way. Some of us are the hands of the church. Uh, some of us are, are, are the eyes of the church and, and some, some are the ears and, and, and some, some work and do different things in different capacities so that we can see the hand of God moving. Every good work, every good work. God doesn't call us without the desire to equip us and understanding the need to be equipped. Understanding the need to be equipped. Over the last four weeks, we've been talking about the need for connection, the need for our community groups, the fact that it takes a village. 
I, I could stand up here all day long and just try to preach my heart out just so that we can fill this room. But if we fill this room without discipling, without building, it's for nothing. We did not fulfill the great commission. We did not do what God has called us to do, what Jesus has commanded us to do. The idea of our connection groups is yes, for community. That's a part of it. Yes, for discipleship and accountability. Yes, those are vital, necessary parts in our connection groups. In fact, they are high on my priority list in how we do church here at Grace Hill. The discipleship is, is big to me. It's crucial to me because I know that if we disciple correctly, in turn, we will begin to see hearts shift and change and say, man, maybe there's more to this than what I'm doing. And maybe I have something to give because God calls us to make disciples, to make disciples, to not just be a body of people being built up together internally so that we are just collectively leaning on each other constantly, but reaching outside of our walls, doing the work God has called us to do, every good work, every good work. I wanna take a moment as we wrap up today I wanna take time to stop and just reflect for a moment over these last few weeks and say, God, what is it, where is it that I need to be strengthened? Where is it that I need to give more? Where is it that I need to, to, to jump in? Maybe you're not in a connection group. Maybe that's the first step for you. Maybe you're going, man, I'm not in a group. I'm, I don't have that connection with, with people. I come, I sit, I leave. You know what? I would venture to say that you're not really doing church if that's what your Sunday morning is. You come, you sit, you leave. You come, you sit, you leave. No, 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 we're not being built up that way. Church was never meant to be a solo participant sport, right? It was meant to be enjoyed with the body. And that happens best in connection groups. But maybe it's beyond that. Maybe you go, you know what? I need somebody who's willing to hold me accountable. I need somebody who's willing to push me in discipleship. Or maybe you're to the point where you're going, I need to be doing something more. I need to be doing more than what I'm doing. Maybe you're going, I need to be leading a connection group or maybe I need to be jumping in and volunteering somewhere. I need to be using the giftings that God has given me so that the kingdom of God can be expanded so that we can reach more people. I hope you hear my heart in all of this. I hope you hear my heart through all of this. It's not about me seeing more people involved. It's about me seeing more people doing the ministry so that the kingdom can be expanded. I believe that God has positioned us strategically in this place so that we can reach East Dallas and Lake Highlands. I think it's, 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 it's on purpose. I, I mean, I believe that God does things intentionally. It's not an accident. It's not, not on, on just on a whim where he's going, oh, that's a good place, throw him over there. No, 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 God does things on purpose, right? So I believe he's brought us together for a reason and for a purpose, and that is to reach this area, to build each other up, to have community with each other, to build this family, to build this body, but, but to reach the lost. Because if we never reach the lost, then we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. If we're not reaching the lost, we're not making new disciples. And God has called us to make disciples. Let me pray. Father, I thank you, God, for where you've brought us over the last four weeks. God, I thank you for what you've walked us through over these last few weeks. And I pray, God, that you will help us to stop and to reflect and stop and to think about where we are in this process, where we are in this journey, what it is that you've called us to do. God, as we take a moment to just listen as we take a moment to just listen to what you're saying and what you're doing God make the next step for us abundantly clear make the next step for us abundantly clear God if it's joining a group then let us join a group Lord if it's 
if it's about being open and vulnerable enough within the group that I'm already in so that, that I can hear uh, accountability questions and I can hear discipleship and I can hear the correction and the reproof that I need to hear, even if it's not direct, but if it's just from the word of God, Lord, if I need to be open and vulnerable to being willing to grow in my walk so that I can become more like Christ, Lord, I pray that, that you push us in that direction or so that we can be trained in righteousness. And God, if it's that next step of saying, okay, I need to be equipped because I know God is calling me to something, that God is pushing me into something, God is challenging me to give more, challenging me to do more. If that's the case, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts to hear what you're saying so that we can be used of you, so that we can be used of you, Lord. Because God, I know this, that there is a world around us of people that need Jesus. God, there is a world around us of people that need Jesus. And so God, I pray that, that Sunday mornings are more than just a time for us to come together, but Lord, that as if they're, they're almost as if the, the time of the rally cry of the halftime speech, Lord, where we come together and we say, God, use us this week to do what you're calling us to do, what you're calling us to be. Father, build us up. Let your Holy Spirit rest on us. Anoint us, oh God, for the task at hand. Anoint us, oh God, for the work that you're calling us to do for the work you're calling us to do. So God, I pray over every person in this room. Lord, I, you see exactly where they are. You see where they're at in their journey. You see where they're at in their, in their walk and in their building up and, and in all that you're taking them through. Lord, I pray that their hearts will be open to the light that you wanna shine in. Lord, that their hearts will be open to the searching that you wanna do, to the searching that, that you wanna make happen in their hearts and the change that you wanna push them into. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit let your Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts, in our lives, Father. So God, that our lives will be lived in such a way that glorify you. Not just in the way we live, but in the way we serve. God, in the way that we, we are used of you, God, that we're open to the leading of your Holy Spirit in all things, Lord. We praise you for it, God. We give you glory and we give you honor for it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We give you glory and we give you honor today. So Lord, I pray that your hand will be on every person this, this morning. Lord, as they leave, as they go from here, we ask that your Holy Spirit will rest on them. God, that you will go with them, Lord. God, anoint them for their workplace, anoint them for their homes, anoint them for the people that they are around. God, that, that the Spirit of God will be overwhelming around them, Lord, that it'll be evident, Lord, that people will be coming to them and asking, what is so different about you and where can I find it? So Lord, I pray that you send them out equipped and ready to do the work that you've called them into. And we thank you for it. We give you glory. We give you honor for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. 